at your fellow revolutionary. And these are Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. Storytelling with a purpose to magnify the real Jesus of Nazareth by sharing revolutionary tales among all people. Would you like to know more? Check it out at talesoftherevolution.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. This episode is another installment of a long-term series on deception. This episode is entitled Dark Deception. I remember many years ago, nearly 30 years ago in fact, an elderly woman on our street must have died because there was an estate sale. Some of my friends and my brother and I found a deal we couldn't resist. The men who were running this estate sale were selling a Ouija board for one dollar. It was perfect. That's how much I had. This Ouija board was creepy. All the different images on it, the unusual script it used for the letters and numbers. It was like nothing I had ever seen before. And I wish I hadn't. We all swore we weren't moving the indicator and we were telling the truth. And yet it moved. One friend couldn't take it anymore. He took his hands away. We were young and didn't understand much, but this friend wore a face of true fright and terror. I don't remember contacting any spirits that day, nor do I remember any messages manifested by using the board. Sometime later, we used the board again. An older kid from the neighborhood was with us. And as we used this board, he would say things like, If you're here, make the wind blow. And we would keenly look outside, peeking around the drapes. And we would see the swaying of trees. And it gave us eyes as wide as saucers. We were already creeped out from the first time we used the board. And I remember that the friend who had pulled his hands away from the board began to say to us, You know, if you break the board apart, you'll find a pentagram inside, a big red one. And if you try to burn it in a fire, the flame will get huge. After this second use, we had had enough. I remember waiting for the trash man. And when he came, I made sure to stuff the board into the garbage just as it was being taken away. And I watched it get thrown into the truck. And then the truck was gone. And so was the board. That night, when I went to bed, something was stiff and cold under my pillow. It was the Ouija board. Just kidding. The trash man took it away, remember? But if I could be serious for a moment. After these events with the Ouija board, a handful of close friends would later testify of the strange goings-on and entities that they would encounter at our house. They would often speak of the times that they saw the ghost. 
My father even looked up the records on our house. But there was no evidence that anyone had ever died while living there, and we had been the longest residents of the house. Weird. Strange, even. Concerning the phenomenon of ghosts or apparitions or whatever you want to call it, I do not believe that people are seeing disembodied humans. There is truly a spiritual realm, and it is actually more real than the physical state in which we live. There are dark forces out there. And with that, let us meet our guest storyteller. Dr. Gregory Reed is a retired private investigator with over 20 years experience as a contract criminal justice trainer on occult crimes and crimes against children. He has a unique perspective when it comes to the abuses of the dark arts and the occult. This is because he himself was a victim of evil satanic rituals at a young age. You can find out more about it in his book, Nobody's Angel. Dr. Reed is the author of 11 books in all, including the recently released War of the Ages, a complete scriptural guide to confronting and defeating Satan's kingdom. To tell his story, and to give some instruction on what we can do to combat the enemy, here's Dr. Gregory Reed. Well, uh, I grew up in Southern California, and uh, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a uh, you know, stay-at-home mom. Sometimes she worked as a nurse. Uh, but I grew up in a very dark area of Southern California, and uh, it was just at a time when parents trusted people and, you know, nothing bad ever really happened. And I uh, got pulled into a group of people who were practicing black magic and also a, a group of uh, pedophiles and child pornographers. And uh, they started to use me in their different functions and their different groups. and. Um, it eventually culminated in just some really horrible stuff that happened, including watching a friend of mine that was murdered in an occult ritual. And that was somewhere around the age of eight or nine. I haven't really put the exact date on it yet, but it completely fragmented me in terms of just being able to function. I became a totally different kid. My parents were totally shocked because I went from being a good kid to a rebel uh, and just a horrible kid. And I didn't care about anything. I locked myself in my room. I started to practice the occult deeply. I mean, from the time about eight or nine years old, I started to dabble in things like Ouija boards and astrology and astral projection. And uh, by the time I reached uh, 15, I was um, pretty much ready to kill myself. I was so deep in the occult and I couldn't get out. I didn't think there was any way out. I'd studied every religion in the world there was. Uh, I didn't find answers in anything. And uh, I was convinced that God, if there was a God, that God could never love me because I was such an evil child. Uh, I was drinking myself to death. And uh, through a series of two or three incidences where I got picked up hitchhiking by Christians, I ended up at a prayer meeting where the first time I heard about the real Jesus. And I had a friend with me, and he actually got saved, and I did not, because I still was convinced that I was evil. And so I just, but there was something in me that was just breaking. And uh, it's, a, it's a long story, but just to kind of shorten it, 
I finally came to a place where somebody had given me a copy of The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. And I read that, and something in me just shattered. And I said, God, if you're up there, how come nobody ever told me that God had this kind of power? How come nobody told me that God could save and, and would love the worst person there is? And uh, that just kind of opened something up inside of me. And I remember I was on a trip with my parents, and I came home, and I just said, whoever you are, if there's anybody out there, please help me, answer me, because if not, I'm, I want to end this thing. I don't want to be here anymore. And um, I was, the only way I know how to describe it is I was taken, I was in my bed, and then I wasn't in my bed. I was someplace, I don't even know where it was, but I was completely alone in the universe. And I felt that, and I could feel all the pain and agony of everything that I'd been through growing up. And I just began to, to wail uh, with all the pain. And then I looked up in the sky, and I saw Jesus standing on the clouds, reaching out his arms to me. And I screamed at him. I said, I can't reach you. You're too far away. And at that moment, I was snatched off of the ground and just like hurled through eternity. And the last thing I remember is being cradled in the arms of Jesus Christ and feeling loved for the first time in my life. And I, and then I was back in my bed. And it was the most real thing that had ever happened to me. And I said, I know you're real. Tell me what to do. And about three or four months later, maybe six months later, I ended up at the same prayer meeting and completely surrendering my life to Jesus. And I've never looked back. It took me a while to get rid of all the occult stuff that I was involved in because I was so brainwashed. I thought that it was still sort of okay to do the Ouija board or maybe, you know, that all paths maybe led to God. And there was no heaven and hell. I was totally new age brainwashed. And because of the man who led the Bible study at the house, I got saved that he challenged me on those things. But what I believed was a lie. And so it caused me, first of all, to get very angry and to walk away for a while. But then it caused me to challenge the things that I had grew, grown up believing and that I'd learned through all these uh, occult New Age books. And I realized the whole thing was a lie, that everything that I had learned was a lie. And I decided I would dedicate myself to the Word of God and believe every word of it. I burned every single thing that I had related to the occult, and then I never turned back. It was 15 years later that I'd, I, I actually, God called me to ministry almost two years after that. And then I, I actually got into ministry when I was 20. It wasn't until I was 30, and I'd had to put a lot of stuff together. I'd really had a lot of healing that needed to happen from my childhood. But uh, when I was about 30, then God uh, said it's time to go public with all this. And so I began to share my testimony with some groups that were trying to stop a satanic crime at the time, back in the 80s. And next thing you know, I was being asked to come and do training for law enforcement. And that ended up in uh, almost 30 years of doing actual law enforcement training. Now, in your time in uh, law enforcement training, did you see a lot of this uh, new age and occult of these types of crimes being taken place in the United States? Yeah, during about from about '86 to about '92 uh, or three, there was it was some police officers were calling it an uh, epidemic of crimes related to Satanism and the occult. Uh, and I had two file cabinets full of cases that I was uh, either involved in or had been made privy to all across the United States. We're talking about 
murders, suicides, uh, church burnings, child molestation, uh, you name it, that had some, some sort of connection either to people practicing Satanism or black magic or the occult in some form. Now, are you still involved in any of that today? Um, well, it took a little turn because right towards the end of the 80s and early 90s, there was a great pushback uh, from the, I would say, the other side that used several different vehicles in the, in the media to rewrite everything and say that all this stuff was just nothing but satanic panic, that there was no such thing as satanic crime, uh, that children were not being molested. And they managed in a very short period of time to just kind of clear the playing field. By the time they were done, uh, there was only two or three of us who were actually doing this work. And the result of it was, because we did not have the voice that they had, is that uh, there was nobody being trained anymore and nobody thought there was even a problem anymore. So we're in a period now where I believe, and I've talked to a couple of my police officer friends and they've said, it's starting to really kick back in again and they're starting to get phone calls uh, from police that don't know what they're dealing with. They don't know what they're looking at. So it's like we're back at the beginning. So in the meantime, when we had that kind of lull where I wasn't actually out training, uh, I worked as a youth pastor for a while, but it, that actually also resulted in uh, me doing a book called War of the Ages, which is a book on spiritual warfare, uh, which is really a training manual and a textbook on spiritual warfare and all that that entails. And uh, that's gotten out there quite a bit. And so the actual training for law enforcement hasn't kicked back in, but the need for spiritual warfare training has definitely started to grow. I'm not working as a formally with a church, but I have a, uh, I have a discipleship class that I have at my house every week uh, to try and raise young people up to, to follow Jesus. And uh, so, yeah, I'm very much still involved. Now, in my own observation, and you know, which is limited because I'm just one person, but what you're saying about how Satanism and the occult is making sort of a comeback, I'm seeing that as well. What sort of things do you think our youth and our teenagers are facing that we need to be aware of? Well, I think the problem is is that they're inundated with it in everything. You know, a couple of decades ago, it was more recognizable. You know, you had really nasty death metal groups that were right out there with pentagrams and blood and all that. That was easily identified. Now you've got, like, all the satanic groups that are just trying to get in the public schools and say, look, we don't even believe in the devil. We just want people to believe in themselves. And so they've kind of rewritten the definition. And what's happening with the youth culture is the occultic uh, nature of the video games and the movies and the music, it's so deep that they don't even recognize that it's occultic at all. They don't really know what it is. But on the other hand, they've moved closer and closer to an atheistic worldview and so we're, we're losing the heart of this generation of youth. Uh, and it's not so much to the occult. The occult is the foundation that has allowed this to happen. And a lot of it has been pushed in the schools. Uh, so we have a whole generation that's been basically occult raised without knowing it. So that has become their worldview and their character. And so reaching them with the gospel of Jesus has we really need to think long and hard about what we're doing in youth ministry right now because what we're doing 
isn't working. What do you think are some strategies that a youth minister of today could employ to maybe penetrate a little bit better? Uh, I think one thing is a, a need to stop playing the big game of come on over and we'll have fun and cookies and then we'll give you a little Jesus snack at the end uh, because that's not working because kids can be entertained a lot better in the world than at church uh, and start to be honest with and, and just set up youth ministry as what it's supposed to be uh, about Jesus. It's a place to come and learn about Jesus and learn truth, to find real friends and real fellowship and just be straightforward. I, I don't believe the kids respect the, the bait and switch. You know, come on over and we'll have fun. Is it church? No, it's not church. And then they get there and it's church. And we've tried this strategy for 10 years. And what we've developed is a generation of Christian youth that have no spine. And so they're not able to go into their schools and talk to their friends about Jesus because they really don't know what they're talking about. I mean, you know, it sounds a little bit cynical, but I'm very alarmed the statistics are something like 72% of all youth groups and churches are in decline right now. That's a lot. And the strategy needs to be, you need to go out and be where the kids are and look for, look for the broken toys, look for the hurting ones, look for the ones that really need to hear uh, who Jesus is. And we need to be much more in their world instead of expecting them to come into our world. I think what you said right there is probably the key that will help the church in general. So much of what we do in church now is, hey, come on in, whereas we've been called to go. Well, you're exactly right. And I think our language tells us a lot about who we are because somehow we went from going out to save the lost to staying there and reaching the unchurched. I mean, what happened there? I mean, if you think about it, uh, we're not, we're not, our job is not to church the unchurched. They don't need to get churched. They need to get saved. And people are so afraid of using those words. But we need to tell people about who Jesus is the way that he talked about himself and not try and cushion it in such a language that we are safe, you know, and we really, people come in, they're not too terribly offended, but who knows, maybe they'll find a little bit of, uh, you know, truth here, and who knows, maybe they'll come back, maybe they can get churched, and maybe eventually they'll receive Jesus. Really putting all the cart before the horse, but you're, you're exactly right on that. The church needs to be out where the world is, in the worst parts of society, trying to reach out to them. Now, I love the what you said a couple times where you've made reference to the real Jesus. One of the things I've been trying to push forward, you know, with the Lord's help, of course, and I believe guidance, is that there is a fake Jesus who's out there. Not, and I'm not just talking about non-Christian cults, but even among those who would be mainstream believers, what are some of the characteristics of maybe this Western Jesus versus the real Jesus of Nazareth? What are your thoughts on that? Well, and as this has developed a lot in the last uh, 10, 15 years of seeker-friendly uh, stuff in the church, is Jesus has, at least for the, I guess for the millennials, has become like uh, Gandhi or, you know, something like that. He's more of a social person to them than God come in the flesh. And so the push in a lot of the churches is more towards, 
you know, let's be, you know, we, we don't need to be very vocal about all, don't not talk about heaven and hell. Jesus would, Jesus loves people. Let's go love them. And that's true. Jesus does love people and we do need to love them and that they want us to go out and let's take care of the poor. And we do need to take care of the poor, but that's not all we need to do. And so I think the Jesus that's being presented is more of a social savior and a, a nice role model than who he really is, who had the boldness because of who he was to say, he that believes shall be saved and he that does not believe shall be damned. I mean, that's pretty stout words. And so I think the further we get away from the Jesus of the Bible and make him sort of a social uh, hero, like Che Guevara or something, uh, the less we're going to get close to the real Jesus, who can only be found in his word. I mean, that's where we know who the real Jesus is. So I'm not surprised that the same people who are moving Jesus towards a more social portrait also are trying to move people away from the word of God. Uh, just as one of the sons of one of the major church leaders said just recently, he told a whole hundreds of pastors, he said, you need to get the spotlight off of the, off of the Bible. Well, if we do that, we're going to get the fake Jesus, and believe me, he's coming. Oh, absolutely. One thing I wanted to talk about, and I figured you'd probably have some pretty good insight, is I think it was Matthew 24. They asked Jesus, what would be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the first thing he said was, take heed that no one deceives you. What are your thoughts on deception now? Well, I think... Uh... And somebody said this, and, and uh, they actually took it from a movie and kind of rewrote it. The movie, I think, was called The, uh, the Fault in Our Stars, and, and it actually said something else. But they revised it and said this, that uh, how does one get deceived? I think it says uh, slowly at first and then all at once. And so I think what has happened is the, the, the seeds of deception have been being sown in the church, in the Western church at least, over the last 10, 15 years, while well, we've allowed contemplative prayer, we've allowed yoga, we've allowed movies like The Shack, we've allowed Bibles that are not even really the Bible. And so the seeds of deception were there. So when all of this really happens, the great deception, I, I believe that most of, the, most of what we call the Western Church is probably going to be deceived. And if Jesus put that in, and I'm glad you pointed it out, take heed that no one deceives you, then uh, then he when he goes on and says, if possible, even the elect will be deceived, he's not talking about a little thing. He's talking about a last-day phenomenon in which truly the way will be narrow and few will be there the day that find it. Uh, there's an excellent book uh, called The Light That Was Dark that was written by a good friend of mine, uh, Warren Smith, and he and his wife came out of the New Age and he, he's done a brilliant job of pointing out how deception happens and how critical it is when you come to Christ to do away with all of those things and not go back to them. So I think deception is the thing that uh, I am most concerned about. And, and one of the things that's concerned me in conjunction with that is, and I'm glad you mentioned Matthew 24, because I was asked to look into a certain megachurch just recently that some friends of mine were concerned with. And so I got on their website and started to look around. And you know, uh, if you've been around in church long enough, you understand for 
decades and decades, all churches have statements of faith, right? And uh, I began to look, and I wanted to see what they believed about certain things, and it, it, it just was jarring to see that this huge mega church with hundreds of satellite churches has absolutely no mention whatsoever about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Wow. And I thought, is this an isolated thing, or is this something else? And so I began to look at a lot of the larger churches, and I realized that that part of the statement of faith about the return of Jesus Christ was either never there or is being erased from most of the megachurch websites. So you have a whole generation of youth, frankly, that they have no clue at all about biblical prophecy, and they're not going to be prepared for what's coming. That's really alarming. Very. For some reason, Paul thought it was pretty important to bring up the second coming, you know, pretty early on in teaching new believers. So you would think that we would want to do the same thing. I mean, it is important. It's it's going to be a matter of life or death spiritually at some point. That's why one of my short or long-term goals, I don't know, you know, sometimes you get so bogged down with, with things you feel like really crucial. But uh, my heart's desire is to write a very short book on biblical prophecy that's short enough that kids will read it so that they can at least have a basic understanding of what it is they're looking at out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even when you look at prophecy as a proof of proving that the Bible is God's Word, I mean, it's it's full of fulfilled prophecy. Why would we not think the rest of that prophecy would be fulfilled just as it says? Absolutely. But this is crucial, too, to Matthew 24, and I don't think I fully understood this until recently, uh, because, you know, when you grow up understanding biblical prophecy, or thinking you do, there are certain angles, because back in the day when I got saved, you had all these nutcases out there claiming to be Jesus. And so that's how we interpret it when it said, many shall come in my name saying I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. But now that we're in this, what they call the New Age, or the Age of Aquarius, whatever, one of the most popular teachers within that movie is that Jesus was a Christ, just like you are a Christ, and we are all Christs. So when Jesus said, many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, I'm seeing not so much little one or two people, but an entire body of people believing that they are Christ, and they will deceive many. Absolutely. I mean, you and I have probably both seen some of those videos of people who would purport that, well, Jesus actually is not divine, he was a teacher, but you and I are divine, and the irony of it is that in, in a lot of these um, non-Christian cults, they want to say, everyone gets to be God except Jesus. Right, that's a good point, yeah. When he is God himself. Well, that's the backwards thinking of deception, isn't it? Yeah, I just want to encourage anybody that's listening to this, just please pray for this generation of youth. Um, they, they could be or will be our last line of defense before Jesus comes back. And right now, uh, we're, we're not reaching them, and we're losing them, and we need to turn it around. We need to get a body of people that understand how crucial it is. I, I think about, you know, some things in Great Britain where because... They didn't hear the alarm. Now some of the greatest churches of England's history are now uh, bars and discotheques and mosques. And, and I see our future in that unless we get enough people that say, you know what, 
If we don't reach this generation, then we've lost everything that we've worked for spiritually. And that they're willing to, not everybody can work with youth, but everybody can pray. And we need to pray hard that God will raise up men and women of God that are going to go out there and reach this generation with the power of God and the love of God. We really do need to see another Jesus revolution happen before Jesus returns. And so I just want to encourage everybody to pray for that. Amen. Amen. We don't understand the power of prayer. We don't know how great it can be because God is the one who's doing the work. Uh, I thought about how it's such a high percentage of kids who grow up in the church, how once they're off at college for like six months, I think it's something like 70% of them lose their faith never to return. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I have. That's a pretty accurate statistic, and that's a very scary thing. But it tells me that we have been treating youth ministry as professional babysitting for too long. Uh, if you're going to have youth group, you need to make it a war room. You need to make it a boot camp, or they won't survive college. That's just a plain fact. Dr. Gregory Reed, thank you. We appreciate your contribution to the program. Learn more about him at GregoryReed.com. I'll include a link in the show notes. Well, it's about that time. The end of the show. But do not be deceived. You can find more revolutionary stories at talesoftherevolution.com. While you're there, sign up for email updates. If you do, you'll get access to exclusive downloads you won't find anywhere else. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. Again, talesoftherevolution.com. And follow us on social media, facebook.com slash talesoftherevolution. On Twitter, at Jason Vreeke. That's V as in victory, R-E-E-K-E. Thank you so much for listening to Tales of the Revolution with Jason Breakey. You've been listening to the 19th episode entitled Dark Deception. Until next time, do not be deceived by darkness, but overcome it with light. And introduce somebody to the real Jesus of Nazareth as you live the revolution.